because really you want salespeople that are motivated by money. And if they say money doesn't matter, they probably don't fit in well with our organization because money doesn't make you happy, but money can change your lifestyle. Jana Ronert is the founder and chairwoman of the board at Image Skincare, the clean clinical skincare brand founded in 2003. After suffering from rosacea most of her life, Jana, a fully trained licensed esthetician, formulated the first product for Image Skincare in her own kitchen. She then went on to develop Image Skincare into a 30-plus product line it is today, becoming the number one spa and salon professional skincare brands in the U.S. Tune in to hear Jana's tips and advice on how to scale a product-based clinical business. Coming up, how Jana created the products for Image Skincare. Jana shares why gaining trust through clinical studies is so important the steps Jana took to market image when she first started her business, and finally, the importance of your why when starting your business. This is the Entrepreneurista Podcast, presented by Socialfly. It's the best business meeting you'll ever have with must-hear real-life looks at how leading women in business are getting it done. And what it takes to build and grow a successful company. It's beyond the gram. With no filters, no limits, and plenty of surprises. Jenna, I am so thrilled to have you here today to hear all about your entrepreneurista journey and story. Growing up, did you always know that you wanted to have your own business? I don't know if I always knew, but I think there was something inside of me that had that maybe leadership quality of wanting to be the boss versus, you know, having someone tell me what to do. So I think at a young age, I, I knew that I wanted to lead. I didn't know what, but I think I always had it in me. What were some of the things that you were doing when you were younger that made you, you know, realize that you were a leader and this could be part of your future? Oh, gosh. I mean, I grew up on a farm. So I think my dad being a farmer, there's probably no better entrepreneur than a farmer, right? Yes. You rely on a team. You rely on God. You rely on nature. You rely on a lot. So you got to have a pretty hearty view of being successful in that particular field. So I always saw him just work very hard. I always saw him build teams mm -hmm. and the teamwork to be successful. And that really encouraged me, I think, to start my own business. When did you start your own business? Did you go to college first and work for other companies or did you just dive right in and start your own business? The first business that I started when I was very young, you know, I was actually selling things to farmers. When we would be at the grain bins, I set up a little coffee shop serving coffee and, and talking to all these farmers that were delivering their grain. So I started making money very early, but I went to college at University of Nebraska. And I think we had chatted a little bit earlier. I worked for several Fortune 100 companies in sales and marketing, but I always had this passion for beauty. So secretly at night, I went back and I became an esthetician oh. and I got into the esthetician world and I decided to go into the skincare world. So I jumped into kind of being an educator and a distributor for uh, a large professional skincare company and then decided that 
I knew I could do it and hopefully do it better and build better teams. And so that was in 2003. And this year, we're the number one professional skincare brand. So it's been a super fun journey. Congratulations. That is incredible. Thank you. Take me back to 2003 when you had this idea that you knew you could build something better than the companies that you were working for. What were some of the first steps that you took to be able to launch your business? You know, I think with any launching of a business, first, you have to have the most superior product. You know, the product's got to be so exciting and unique and innovative in the field, especially in skincare. I mean, people thought I was crazy. My own family even thought I was a little crazy, thinking, how can you compete against these big skincare giants? But I knew from being an esthetician and treating skin for so many years, what the consumer, what the physician, and what these medical spas were looking for. So my first step was to create an incredibly great product. And I suffered from rosacea, which is that really red ruddy, very horrible looking skin. And so my first collection was to treat rosacea and that's the Vital C collection. And today it's still our number one selling collection. So, you know, it sustained nearly 20 years. And I think that is attributed to, you know, initially as an entrepreneur, you got to have a great product. That's number one. Marketing comes second, in my opinion. Absolutely. When you have a great product, it can speak for itself and people organically want to want to tell others and share when a product is working. Organic word of mouth. What was the process like to formulate these products? Did you have a background in science or creating specific products like this? How did you go about it? You know, I've always been an ingredient geek and very much a nerd Mm -hmm. as it's related to ingredients. So I interviewed chemists from all over the country and I found a couple chemists from very different backgrounds, one from India, one from Texas, that really understood kind of my philosophy of formulating products. So us three worked together and created these products. I would talk about ingredients, they would talk about the formulation, We would talk about what we want this product to really do clinically and what clinical evidence the ingredients had. Then you formulate a product and then you send it off to be tested and to do some studies of did it really do what it says it's going to do. And then after you get those studies, then you release the product. So that was kind of our format. How long does that process typically take? A long time. <laughs> it takes a couple years from the beginning of your innovation to when you really launch that product. So I think as an entrepreneur, you have to be pretty smart about being, quote, on trend. But sometimes that length, you think, gosh, am I going to be off trend by the time it launches? But again, when you're talking about kind of these clinical professional products, they really have to have the evidence based before you launch them to gain the trust from the consumer. So now you had your initial products ready to go to launch this brand. What were some of the first steps that you took to get the word out about Image? Gosh, that's like 19 years ago. It was really pretty much just me Mm -hmm. and one other employee. So we did it through education, through knocking on doors. I knew a lot of people in the industry And I just hustled very, very hard to get the product out. A lot of friends and family. I think that the best advertisement is a happy client. Mm -hmm. 
that your best advertisement is somebody that says, you know, I use this product image last night and oh my God, my skin, you should see it today. That's the best advertisement. So it was pretty organic for sure. You know, I was carrying a bag for many, many months, you know, knocking on doors. How quickly did the company start to grow? I know you said it was just you and one other employee when you started. What was that trajectory like? I think the first year was really rough. The debts were high, the funds were low, and there wasn't much revenue coming in. But year two, we really gained traction. Year three is when I would say the team, I started really developing a pretty strong team, salespeople of internal support, marketing. And then I would say year five, we started making some money. And then year 10, we really, really, I knew we were on the trajectory to reach number one. Were there ever moments in those first few years where you felt like this is too hard, we're not making enough money, can't keep going? Or did you always know where you were going to get to and nothing was going to stop you? Well, I think to answer your second question, I always knew. But to your first, were there days? I'd say every day, the first year, you kind of feel that way. I mean, it's really stressful. You've got a dream, you have a vision, and it takes a long time to gain trust from that end consumer, you know, or with physicians. It just takes, I always think kind of the slow and steady absolutely win the race. I know it's a little different now with social media and how brands can propel themselves, but I think sustainability and longevity Mm -hmm. is much more important than that fast rocket and then you fall flat on your face. So you really have to build something for the long term. Absolutely. And I know you have since gone on to launch another business. Can you share a little bit about that as well? Yeah. So, I mean, I love topical skincare. I'm an esthetician. I love products. I love treatments. But I've also learned as I've been in my 50s that you have to take care of your body internally too. And so how can you do that from a beauty standpoint? So we started, my husband and I, My husband is a a physician, and he worked to kind of formulate these products for beauty supplements. So internally, how do you get the glow? Internally, how do you keep your hair healthy? How do you keep it, you know, full? And when you age, you lose hair. Everything kind of goes a little south, right? So we started a brand of beauty supplements for hair, skin, sleep, gut health, because I think those are the three elements. If you sleep well, if your gut is healthy... If you if your hair remains healthy, I think that's a great part of aging. Now, you launched this brand a few years ago, and obviously marketing has completely changed in the yes. past couple of years from, you know, going door to door when you first launched Image almost 20 years ago. What were yep. some of the learning lessons that maybe you took from your first business applied to your second business, also in terms of how you launched your marketing strategy? Yeah, I think the first still goes back to credibility. Even with our beauty supplements, we're one of the first companies that has clinical studies on a supplement. Mm. So I think that's really important that there's a lot, thousands of supplement brands, but to have a clinical study support that your hair grows, your wrinkles get less, your skin becomes more hydrated is important. That's step one. But step two, I think with this company, we decided to go kind of from a social media and a retail strategy. So this brand is in Saks Fifth Avenue, but it's also in plastic surgeon's offices. Mm. So I think initially we 
we had a omni-channel approach that's been very successful because, you know, professional products can also be in a retail setting now, whereas before they were very, very divided. Absolutely. Tell me a little bit about your social media strategy when you first launched. So our strategy was really kind of from an educational standpoint to educate the consumer via every media outlet, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok. You know, even when TikTok first, you know, started hitting the street, we were one of the first companies because I think the young consumers too in their teenage years really need a supplement for acne something other than a medication to help them treat their skin conditions. So we used every outlet very successfully. We used physicians, we used influencers, we did affiliate marketing. We kind of looked at every avenue kind of to help educate the consumer of what separates a supplement in Whole Foods or on Amazon versus a professional supplement. And usually education is the key. Absolutely. I talk to clients about this all of the time, how with social media, you have to create this content destination that is doing something for the end consumer that's going to make them want to come back. And when you're educating them or you're providing them with quality information, that's really what hooks them and makes them want to come back and then also share your content. So clearly your strategy worked and uh, definitely a good one. Yeah. And I also think that, you know, the founders need to kind of be front and center. Because if you're the one who really believes in this vision, in this product, and it has the evidence to support it, I think the end consumer wants to see who's behind the brand. What's your background? There's so many celebrities, as you know, that are coming out with skincare lines, makeup lines, which is great. But I think the, the authenticity and the credibility is very important. Why you buy that brand and why you invest your money and trust that brand for the long term. Absolutely. People want to do business with people that they love, that they trust, that they feel connected to. And when they see you showing up and talking about your products, they want to buy from you, you know, not just any ad that someone sees. You really have to build that relationship. And that's so important. That was important 20 years ago. And it's definitely very important now for sure. It is. I think the story is very important. Why are you doing it? Are you doing it for passion or profit? Are you doing it to really change the world or change your life? And I think those who holistically look at changing the world and doing something that makes it a better place for not only you, but the rest of the world, generally those companies will succeed. Absolutely. Up next, Jana explains the process for scaling your business through hiring and the number one priority when hiring a sales team. Jana, I would love to hear more about the process of building your team at Image. So I know you had mentioned before when you started in that first year, it was you and one other employee. Can you talk about the process of scaling your company and your employees and what you've learned? Gosh, I have learned so much. When Image was first born, of course, as a solo entrepreneur, it was just me. But I think the most important thing of building a team as it relates to revenue is you got to bring in some sales. And back then, without social media, my first avenue was to hire a great sales team that could educate around the country, that could also go globally. 
So I knew in the first five years, we needed to have a US sales team, but I knew internationally, we needed to have a global team too. So we set up a sales team that were all licensed estheticians. And that was very unique in the industry. Because I think when you can talk the talk, you can walk the walk. So these estheticians had an immediate connection with the physician, with the spa, because they knew skin. So they weren't just selling, they were educating. And globally, we did the same thing. We would choose distributors that had a sales team that were estheticians. So I think that helped us scale very quickly. So we started with the sales and marketing, and then we moved into more of the finance. Because if you don't know how to keep your financial records solid, understanding how a profit and loss, your EBITDA, where you shift those dollars. So sales and marketing, and then we did finance. And obviously the last piece, which is kind of odd because now it's the first piece, was really the whole marketing element and how do you market without doing it organically. So I think things have shifted today because in the hush and hush in the world of business, I think you should outsource the majority of your business. You can have a fractional CFO, you can have a fractional CMO, so you can hire top talent, but they may just be with you a day or two a week. And I think that's a pretty successful way of scaling a business. Those are such great suggestions based on all of your learning lessons. For those who are thinking about hiring a fractional CFO or CMO, where did you find the right companies to be able to hire from that offer those positions? Or was it people through your network? How did you go about that process? So two ways. First, I just put it out there to all my network. I told all of my colleagues, all the organizations that I belong to, just let them know this is what I I was looking for. Do you have any suggestions? Then we went to LinkedIn, which I think is an enormously great tool to other than a search agent, because a search company is great, but they're doing the same thing as LinkedIn is doing. Mm -hmm. They're just searching for people. And so I think both of those avenues, and I found it through all my colleagues, So LinkedIn has been a source for good salespeople, but I would say my top tier have come from my network. Can you share any tips about retaining top talent? You know, I just recently image one entrepreneur of the year through Ernst & Young organization many years ago. And they literally just sent me a really interesting study that that is the number one challenge for every company globally is retention of talent. So these are a few tips I would say. Number one, be nice. If you are a nice leader and an emotionally understanding leader, people can stay connected to you. And it's not all about money in the end, why people stay or why people go. So I think being appreciated, being nice, having a open communication with your team of what you're really doing well and things that you see that could be done better versus that annual review. Mm -hmm. I'm not a fan of an annual review anymore. I think it should be immediate feedback. I think when you're doing a good job, you should tell the employee they're doing a good job right on the spot or call them, do a Zoom and say, hey, I just want to tell you that last project, you knocked it out of the park or that last project fell a little bit below the line. So I think those elements of immediate feedback and telling and educating your personnel what they can do in the future 
where they financially could be and where they could be in the organization on this path is critically important. But I don't think you should wait for a year to do that because time and time we have about cumulatively close to 400 employees now and we have 30,000 spas in America. So we talk to a lot of people every day. But I think that staying in touch and communicating is one of the most important things for a leader today and leaving a lot of the business to outsourcing, but you have to stay connected. And I think you can retain talent. We've got employees that have been with us 17, 18 years and they still love it. So I think those would be very important as an entrepreneur. Those are such great tips. In terms of communication and staying connected to your team, you have four hundred over 400 employees now. We are living in a connected but disconnected world. Many people are working remotely. Do you have majority of your team that, that are working remotely or do you have part of your team that's in person as well? So I would say the majority are working remotely. And I think the way that you try to stay connected is through Zoom. Mm-hmm. But we just recently had our first sales meeting after two years. And I'll tell you, it was a blast. It was motivating. It was inspiring. And what's interesting, and some of you may feel this out there, some of our top salespeople that came to the meeting said they had a lot of anxiety They had not been in a real social event. They had not been in a plane. I know that sounds really weird, but I think there can be anxiety from getting back to the new norm. So I think as soon as you can get your team together, if you can squeeze some dollars to do that, I would highly suggest that. And it doesn't need to all be cranking out numbers or looking at spreadsheets. Have some fun. Talk about life. Talk about challenges. Talk about things that have made you happy things that don't make you happy, and really kind of connect on more of an emotional standpoint than a financial. I love that advice. And we just did the same. We had uh, we had hired most of our Entrepreneurista team during the pandemic because we started Entrepreneurista during the pandemic. And we everyone has been working remotely. And we did an event down in Miami, actually, in May and flew our whole team down to Miami and had a team dinner before our event. And it was just so nice to finally connect and give each other hugs and be in person. So absolutely. And and I think especially in the beauty world, beauty is is in the eye of the beholder. But if you don't see somebody eye to eye, you can't really feel that that energy. And you know, with filters and everything we do, you know, when I, I met some of the new sales reps for the first time and I'd hear, oh, you're taller than I thought, or you know, you look different than I thought, right? (laughs) You know, it's like, gosh, you, you just look so different in person. I'm not sure if different is good, but that's what I heard. No, it's amazing. Like how well you can connect over zoom. I mean, I have built so many close personal friendships and relationships over Instagram and zoom over the past two years, but there is no substitute for actually finally getting to meet in person and have that real connection for sure. Yeah, I agree. I would love to learn a little bit about the process of building a sales team. I think for so many entrepreneurs, they know that building out that team is very important. But in terms of how to structure a sales team, how do you pay a sales team with base plus commission, setting up different incentives? What are some of the best tips you can share about the process of doing so? So I think the best tip is even before you hire one person, you need to prepare a playbook. Because a team needs a playbook to be successful. Mm -hmm. You would not hire the top quarterback in the league or the top NBA basketball player 
and bring him for whatever money into your group without seeing a playbook. So the first is you need a playbook. And that playbook includes how the team is going to be organized, what their duties are, what their commission is. So playbook is number one. Number two is compensation. The package needs to be to where people have a goal, in my opinion, and always a stretch goal. Mm -hmm. Because as salespeople, we're goal-oriented. We want to win the Super Bowl. We want to get a ring. We want to make a lot of money. We want to change our lifestyle. We want our kids to go to a private school. Whatever that is for you. And I think those are the most important things. Playbook, compensation structure. I'm a big fan of a base salary and a very, very high commission because I think we as salespeople like to excel. We like to overexceed. That's what makes us happy. It could be financially driven, but for a lot of us like me, it's more the motivation about being number one in whatever we're doing. Number one in Palm Beach, number one in Florida, number one in US, number one international. So I think you need to hire and the skill set is more important than the resume. Mm -hmm. I think some of my biggest mistakes that I've made is paying more attention to the piece of paper in their resume than to really have an interview, I-N-N-E-R, versus an interview. Because we talked about early growing up and those things that mold you, that doesn't change mm -hmm. much. You know, zebras really don't change their stripes much. And if you have that hustling, that number one, that will not be beat mentality, pretty much you can teach anybody to sell something, a product, Absolutely. a service, a social media. So I think those skill sets you need to really look at as a person because those don't change. Are there certain questions you ask during an interview to really get to know someone to figure that out? There are. And I think you asked me that early on, which was very smart of you. You asked, you know, what did you do growing up? Mm -hmm. What kind of jobs did you have? Did you work in college? Because if you've never worked in another job or hustled or did your own thing to some degree, you'll never know what it's like to fail. Mm -hmm. You know, if you've always been the superstar in college, the Harvard MBA, that whatever, but you've never had a lot of failure in your life, you don't know what success is. Mm -hmm. So I always ask what they did in school. I ask a lot about their parents. What did they do? I ask always the question, tell me what you think about money. Mm -hmm. I'll ask how important is money and what is your motivation around money? Because really you want salespeople that are motivated by money. And if they say money doesn't matter, they probably don't fit in well with our organization yep. because money doesn't make you happy, but money can change your lifestyle. It yep. can change your family. It can change your children's education. It can do a lot to change your trajectory in life. So those are the three basic questions that I always ask. I love that. Thank you for sharing. And speaking of money, I know you had mentioned before that about 10 years in, you decided to partner with a private equity firm. Uh -huh. What made you decide to do that at that point? And can you share some of the learning lessons around that experience? Sure. I mean, for years, we had many companies wanting to invest in image and we remained 100% owned by myself. And then I got married with my husband. And 
we just continued to grow the business. But I think there comes a point that if you want to be number one globally, mm-hmm. you need a lot of capital to do that. So we partnered with the private equity, which was one of the best decisions we ever did. Private equity company and great partner. And I think the same interview has to go on when you're looking at who to partner with. It's like choosing a husband. It's like choosing a best friend. You've got to make sure that those cultures are aligned. So I've heard a lot of horror stories in the industry of, of how things didn't work out, but they probably didn't work out because they didn't choose the right partner. So it's been very, very beneficial for us. I still remained in control for many, many years as the CEO, but then I chose to replace myself to become the chairwoman of our board to kind of elevate myself. But I had that plan all along in my mind. So I think as an entrepreneur, you need to know where you want to be in certain years and then where you want to be in the organization. And I decided after 15 years, when my kids were a certain age, that I didn't want to do the day-to-day work anymore. I had done it for almost 15 years, but I wanted to be the visionary that still led the company in the right direction, choosing the right team. So I think you've got to know when to go and you need to know when to stay. But again, you need to have a playbook of life, not Mm -hmm. just in your business, where you want to be in your life what age your kids are, when you want to be present at what age. And if you have the luxury of doing that, usually a playbook can help you get there. Did you ever work with a coach or a business coach as you were building your business? So that's a great question. Early on, before my father passed away, he was really my business coach. Mm. I talked to my dad every single day of my life. Mm. I had a lot of great mentors that were much more successful than me in different businesses. But I will say the last six, seven years, I've had a mentor. I've had a coach Mm. to really help me. I've joined organizations where I lead groups and Mm. I'm part of groups of very successful women. And that has really helped me grow as a woman leader, as a mom, as a business leader. And now I also mentor other ladies around the world. So I'm kind of also, you know, kind of passing it down, if you will. But I think that's very important because you need an objective person to say, Jana, you're off base Mm -hmm. or Jana, that was not the right idea or how you made that decision, it was way too emotional and you didn't look at the data. So I think you need that. And if you don't have it, there are many avenues to find those people that will help you in your field because they need to know your business. Absolutely. I'm, I'm so glad you shared that. And that's one of the reasons why we started our Entrepreneurs League community, because we wanted to be able to provide all of these resources. And especially over the past few years with people not meeting in person and connecting and networking and meeting with coaches and building their businesses, you need each other and you need a community. So I love that you shared that and, and how important that's been for you and all that you're doing to give back to other women as well. So thank you. <laughs> Coming up, the importance of having an annual checkup in your business. Jana, this is one of my favorite segments of our show. I'm going to ask you a few rapid fire questions. So the first word or words that come to your mind, are you ready? Yep. All right. How would your friends describe you in three words? Motivating, energizing, exhausting. I love that. (laughs) What is your favorite business tool that you've used to help grow your business? Cell phone. 
Mm-hmm. Coffee or tea? Coffee. What is your favorite app on your phone that you can't live without? What's app? And finally, do you have a hidden talent? Piano playing. Oh, I love that. All right. Those are all of our rapid fire questions. We're going to go back into our our regular questions here. I would love to know, you have developed so many products over the years. What is your favorite product? Yeah. I mean, gosh, we have over a hundred products, but Vital C Serum, that was the first product I formulated almost 19 years ago. It's still our number one product and it's really a cult favorite. So lightens, tightens, brightens is just phenomenal. Well, I am going to have to go buy that. Yeah. Where, no, no, no. The- I'm going to get you one. I'm going <laughs> to get you one. You are so sweet. Thank you. Well, you know, I would pop over to a, a spa down here in Palm Beach. So tell me where it is too. So uh, next time um, I get myself over to a spa, I can check it out as well. <laughs> I would love to know, Jana, what would you say has really been one of your biggest learning lessons over the years? You know, there have been so many, but I think for me, and probably the listeners is really to get a annual business checkup mm-hmm. on the health of your business. I know when you start a business and you're growing, you're so busy, you have like blinders on, you're so focused with your head down that I think having an independent person come in and look at the health of your business, kind of like a an annual checkup for yourself is really important because you miss things. You don't see things or you see things and you don't want to face those things. So I think having somebody come in and looking at the health of the business would be something that I wish I would have done earlier Mm -hmm. because I think we could have scaled much faster if I would have opened my eyes to a few things. When did you learn that? I would say six, seven years ago, honestly, is when I really understood when I had this partner, our private equity partner come in and really look at the health of our business. I just realized that they saw a lot of things from a business standpoint Mm -hmm. that I had never seen, that I didn't have the experience, that I didn't know, but I could have pivoted earlier to look at some of these areas to grow our sales, to grow our EBITDA, and to maybe decrease some of our expenses that just weren't paying off. What were some of the things that they saw and what did you make quick changes once they pointed these things out to you? We did. I think the biggest is an increased spend in marketing, mm-hmm. which from a social media standpoint, you know, was never really my forte, but an increase in social media a decrease in some of the old style of advertising that we were doing in the past. And then the third thing that they really pointed out from a business health standpoint is how can we outsource some of the things that are internal, Mm -hmm. not removing people from the organization, but kind of ratcheting up what people are really good at and giving them higher standards and goals and higher KPIs So those kind of key performance indicators are very important to every job. And we did not have those in place. Because again, whether you're in finance or sales or marketing or shipping or distribution, everybody should have a KPI of what they live by every day so they can reach it in every part of the organization. And so I think those were very big learning tips for me. Absolutely. If someone is not at the stage where they're, you know, potentially going to be partnering with a private equity firm or venture capital, who is the right type of person to come in and look at the business that way? 
You know, I think you could hire a fractional CFO mm-hmm. to come in. You could hire a, an accounting agency like maybe BDO, Ernst & Young, to do a short-term project of a couple weeks to look at the healthier business and to give some suggestions of areas of weaknesses that you think they could improve. It would certainly be worth the money. Mm-hmm. I think the other thing is when you get to a point where you can do some brand awareness studies, I think that's very important for your company. Why your consumer loves your product, who that consumer is, because then you can really, really target those consumers to get all that you can out of them. But if you don't know who they are, then you're kind of running blind. So that's in another stage. Absolutely. That is such great advice. I would love to hear a little bit more about your home life and integrating work with your family. How do you make it all work? I know that you shared you have twins, so I know it's probably busy running around between work and and managing their schedules as well. (laughs) It is, but like I said, I think my phone is my most important asset because I calendar everything. Mm-hmm. And I think for me, the work-life balance is I just have to put it in my schedule. Yep. You know, my workout is in my schedule. My time with the family is in the schedule. My time with friends is in the schedule and my alone time. I mean, my kids know on Sunday from three to six, every Sunday, I'm reading a book or doing something for me if I'm not with them. So for me, I really hyper schedule because if it's not in there, I don't do it. You know, if my workout's not there, I don't (laughs) do it. If my time with my friends is in there, all of a sudden a month goes by and I haven't seen my friends, Mm -hmm. you know? So I think for me, I have to schedule everything. I'm the exact same way, like literally down to the 15 minutes. So it's every single thing is in this phone. And if I always say, I don't know what I would do if something happened to my phone or Google Calendar. <laughs> like I would not know what to do or where to go. I do tend to look at my schedule on Sunday for the whole week and look at everything and the night before, just in case there's any uh, <laughs> any problem with, with the app. And I think with work-life balance for me too, I have become such a minimalist. Mm-hmm. In, in our house, in my closet, in the pantry, everything is super organized and very minimal. Because just for me, when I have too many choices, my brain just gets fried. I don't know where to turn. So less is more for sure. Absolutely. Jenna, is there a quote or mantra that you live your life by? That is the easiest one. Those that have known me for all my life, I've been saying this because my father instilled this into all of us girls. And he just said, the lazy are never lucky. And if you want to be lucky, you can't be lazy. You have to put in the hard work. There is no shortcuts to being successful. There's no shortcuts in being a good mom, being a great wife. Got to put in the work. Nothing happens by accident. So that's really what I live by. And I've taught all my employees that they know it. If you ask one person, what does Jana say? They, they all know that mantra from the mailroom to the boardroom. They know that. <laughs> I love that. Thank you so much for sharing that, Jana. And thank you for 
all of the advice and learning lessons that you have just shared with me. And I know our listeners are truly going to value this conversation and hopefully take some of the tips that you shared into their own practice with their business as well. I know we could stay in chat for hours and the good news is we live right down the street from each other. So we'll definitely have to, to meet in person for sure. But in the meantime, where can everyone find you and follow you? And for our listeners who are interested in trying any of your products, where should they head to online? Sure. So they can go to imageskincare.com and you can purchase some products or we have licensed estheticians that answer the phone. So you can maybe get a professional skincare program or visit your local spa, hushandhush.com for your beauty supplements. And if you want to follow me, it's at Jana Ronert. Jana, thank you again for being here. I'm Stephanie and this is the best business meeting I've ever had. Hey, thanks for listening and leaving us a five-star review. We'd really appreciate it. And we'd love to stay in touch with each of you. You can listen to all of our latest episodes at entreprenista.com and connect with us on Instagram at entreprenistas. We'd also love to invite you to join the Entreprenista League, our private membership community for trailblazing women. You can head over to entreprenista.com forward slash the league. We'll see you there. Wishing you a productive week ahead. Mm -hmm.